You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. I'm Christina Pittam, a creator and entrepreneur. And I'm Danielle Alexandra, a stylist and content creator. And we are In Case You Haven't Heard Podcast. We're giving you the behind the scenes and an inside scoop of what really goes down. So you know exactly what the fuck is going on. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of In Case You Haven't Heard. My name is Danielle. And I'm Christina. And happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. For those of you who are new, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We post episodes every Wednesday. And uh, for those of you returning, we have another exciting episode today. But before we get into it, Danielle, it's September. I know. Trust me, I know that honestly, the weather here has been screaming September. It's been gray. It's been mm-hmm. not even raining, but I'll I'll open the weather app and it's like haze. It's like, okay, great. I don't know how to dress for freaking haze. It's I know. weirdly still humid, but also kind of cold. And also I feel I tend to always get sick when the weather is changing. Oh, and no. now I'm scared to get oh, sick no. that everyone's going to think that I have COVID. I'm not sick, but I'm just scared <laughs> to get sick because it's like, okay, People are going to question you 100%. Yeah. Like normal sickness now is not a thing. It's either like you have COVID or you're fine. Well, we're about to go through a heat wave in London. It's literally like 29 degrees on Sunday, 30 on Monday, 28, 27, Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'm ready to tan. Yeah. I'm going to try and revive the tan before it's like too cold (laughs) because I already see myself getting white and more pasty. Oh, I didn't even try this summer because, I mean, it's over, really. Back it's to school sad. is so weird this year. Actually, I there's a there's an elementary school near my house, and I saw on Tuesday when I was walking Billy, like lineups outside, I guess, for the kids to get, I don't know, their orientation package or whatever they get. And it's so early this year, but then Also for university students, like my brother and sister are going back to school and they they got, they didn't have to get COVID tests, but like all of the people in their houses got COVID Mm -hmm. tests. So that was super safe, but I don't, all of their classes are online. So I'm not really sure how back to school is going, but well, the protocol is different. First of all, like, yeah, you're going to have to get tested. I think they're going to do temperature checks probably, but like low key, if you have a temperature in uni, then you can't go to class. I feel like that would be a win. All but, are, all classes are online, at least for what I've heard. I think what I've heard is like the first semester. So yeah, until okay. December at least. And then depending on the country and like the city and region or school, I guess. Yeah, um, the different protocols. That. But 
can you imagine being in university right now and not getting the social element? Like that's literally like part of it, especially if you're in like a university town. Like you don't get the social scene. Like you don't get to like meet new people. So I feel bad. So any of you guys listening that are in uni, our hearts go out to you. (laughs) Like you're killing it. Good, But stay safe. (laughs) Don't be dumb. Well, no, stay safe. But like, the fact that you're doing this through such a weird time, like, yeah, to- oh, I'm first, sorry. First but year would are- be the worst in this situation. No frosh. Nothing. No frosh. Do you know what's going on with res? Because my, the only people that I have access to that are in university live in a house with like, yeah, so other people. I don't so- know about res, but I know that anyone like out of first year, so in second, third or fourth, a majority of them who like go to school, even though they have online classes are going back to school so they can just live together. So at least they get yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I have to. Yeah. No. So it's like, not like you're alone, but it, at least you have a few people in your house that you can hang out with. But I feel like yeah. res is not a thing because how can you have like open door policy? Like you would have to close your door. You wouldn't be able to do that. It's crazy. All, right. And I feel like everything's so close quarters. Everything's sharing, like sharing I don't know. You're the, all the dorms. It's like yeah. shared bathroom. Exactly. Or I guess shared dorms calves. That, what? Yeah, no, it's a super weird situation, um, but we'll get through it. And hopefully for your second semester, for any of you guys in university, you can socialize and go to class. And I'm sure we'll all take it a little less for granted when we get there because of like the fact that we couldn't go to class for a while. So maybe it'll actually help the students be a little bit more motivated. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope it has a positive effect. That's all you can really do right now is just be positive and hope for positive things to come out of it. No, for sure. Should we get into the episode? Yeah, let's get into this week's episode. We are interviewing Tara and Ash from Counterculture. They are a husband and wife and also business partner duo based out of Toronto. Um, Tara is a creator and Ash is the founder, co-founder with Tara of Counterculture Agency. So we have a pretty in-depth chat. Um, it's a more serious combo, but we really touch on both the influencer side and the agency side um, of the digital space, creator space, and how it shifted over the past few months. For everyone who is just tuning into the podcast, this is Tara and Ash, and they are the co-founders of Counterculture Agency. But how did you guys get started? And I know you guys are also married, so that's yeah. A fun I would love to know how work, it is working together and how you guys started, or how the idea of working together happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could probably take this one. Um, we so Counterculture started about three years ago, and. I come from a background in in sponsorship and marketing, um, and Tara comes from a background in PR. During the time that I spent working in sponsorship and marketing, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I had as a marketer who needed to reach people, ultimately Canadians, was finding uh, new and interesting ways to do it. And it was really early on, you know, th- that was relatively early in the influencer marketing, you know, space, if you will. So. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of lack of knowledge about how to negotiate contracts, what to put in those contracts. And we had a lot of friends that were in the space, photographers, artists, designers that had social media following. So they would always come to me because of my sponsorship background and ask me, 
you know, questions about how they can negotiate, you know, the biggest bag possible from the brands they were working with. So for the first little while, it was just a voluntary, I would help them out wherever I could, give them the right information and move on. And then eventually a couple of those people actually came forward and said, like, I want you to just manage me. Like, why won't you just take on these relationships and these conversations and, you know, ultimately take a cut from the the money that I do secure. So that's kind of where the idea started. We had a couple of creators that we worked with at the time, and the the, the brand was actually originally called Community To, um, mm-hmm. because it really was intended to help Toronto-based creatives. But as we grew, uh, we learned that you know, obviously, it's we're not just limited to Toronto. There's creators everywhere that want this type of assistance and advice, and. Uh, shortly after, Tara decided to join me with her experience in uh, in PR. And for a long time, we were doing it. I had a full-time job. So did Tara. I was actually you know, heading up marketing for a really large Canadian brand. And in the evenings and weekends, Tara and I were pumping out you know, decks and marketing materials for our own business. And it took probably a year before Tara could leave and, and uh, focus on the brand full-time. And I only just started to do that about uh, five months ago. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting working with a spouse too. I think you really have to compartmentalize your personal relationship with your, the work one, and it's a work in progress for sure. Sometimes, you know, you're equal in a relationship, but you might not necessarily be equal in a working relationship. And that's kind of something that we've both like struggled to deal with. What we always say, there's always like that, like push and pull in working relationships. It's like, someone's always going to like, you know, offer a bit more value in one area versus the other. So I guess the dynamic and, and making sure, I guess you keep like the personal and work kind of separate. Yeah. Like you are at work when you're at work. And then when you're at home, you still have that couple time and that relationship with each other. I definitely think it would be challenging spending time living with someone in quarantine and (laughs) I could not even imagine right now working also with my boyfriend at this at this point in time but I also thinking about it as a creator having an agency behind you it just makes perfect sense and how you said you started three years ago when it wasn't as popular as it is now we have agents managers for models for actors for dancers so it's just the natural progression that creators would have the same representation yeah it kind of like validates you know validates your worth I think because especially for creators who don't know how to pitch themselves or maybe don't know what their value is or having someone to tell you, no, you're valued at this as opposed to undervaluing yourself. It gives you more confidence and it allows you to just focus on creating the content and not worrying about the negotiation process and being, I guess, the bad guy or like the bad cop in the process. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. as an agency, what services do you provide? Who do you sign? What's your niche in that sector yeah i mean look we as an agency we always try to work with our creators to ensure that it's not just about one-off single contracts and how much you can get paid to do a one-off post you know as a creator you really have to treat your audience and your personal accounts as as a brand it's itself Uh, so we work with our creators to not just vet the partners that they work with but make sure that they're not taking on partners that might not reflect where they want to be in six months. You know, we, we've had so many examples where this like theory of, you know, making sure that you're partnering with the right people at the right time has been validated where, you know, a, a brand 
a footwear brand that the creator didn't really love would reach out asking to work with them as an example. And, you know, we would advise them not to. And, you know, they would be hesitant because they weren't getting other partnerships at the time. So, you know, their thinking is, well, I want to do this because I don't have anything else. And, you know, we encourage them not to because we don't think it's a fit for them. And, you know, a month later, one of the larger, much you know, better known footwear brands will reach out trying to work with them. That likely wouldn't have happened if they had worked with that previous brand. So a lot of it for us is kind of helping them navigate their own personal brand. It's almost like we act not just as agents to make sure they get paid the right amount of money for the right content, but it's almost like we're their publicists as well, where we try to work with them to make sure we're putting them in the right places. And, you know, at Counterculture, we not only do we manage creatives, but we do a lot of agency and brand direct work. So we actually manage influencer campaigns for brands. So one of the advantages I say to, you know, being signed to our agency is that oftentimes we go out and we find brands and programs to put our creators on. Uh, And I think probably the biggest, the single biggest pain point that creators express to me when we talk to the, you know, large ones, especially is they get a lot of incoming requests already. So for them, the challenge is, why would I want to give up a percentage of these incoming requests when I never get anything back from the agency? This is, you know, historical agencies that they would have been signed to to say, like, they didn't bring me one paid program the entire time I was signed. So why would I stay with that? So that's part of the reason why we go out and we find those programs and those campaigns ourselves so that we're also adding that value add to the uh, creators that are signed to us. And then your last question about what kind of creators that we work with, we work with creators that are culturally relevant. And that, you know, might sound a little bit vague, but it's not necessarily about the size of the audience. Um, What's most important for us is that the person has real value to the culture, um, whether it's offline or online. And we have some creators that have very small audiences online, but they have serious influence in the city of Toronto, as an example. So for us, it's really about that cultural relevance. It's not just about the numbers and how many likes and comments you're able to get. Uh, It's about, you know, are you able to impact the culture in a positive way by working on a campaign or a program? That's awesome. Yeah, I think that a huge part of an agency, especially when you're an influencer that's kind of looking to be represented or is being reached out to to being represented is, is again, getting that value add through the outreach that someone needs to provide for them that they can't provide for themselves and really just like vouching for them. At the end of the day, it's a partnership and you have to view it that way. So I think that that's the most important. If you're giving value as the creator and the agency is giving value, I think that's the perfect merge to be successful in the industry. Going to our next topic, which we really wanted to dive into was how important has a diverse culture been for your company since the beginning? What are some of your core values as a brand or agency? Um, So I think we've always been about diversity. So, you know, I know now, especially in the political climate that we're in, it seems like it's like a new topic. But one of the reasons why we started Counterculture in the first place was to to empower the creators that might not have been the obvious choice for PR or brands in general. So it's definitely always been part of our ethos. And, you know, Ash and I are POC. So it is just ingrained in in everything that we do. And I think brands now are starting to realize that. Um, It's always been 
kind of a pain point to educate brands and clients on like why they should include people from different backgrounds. But I think now it's going to be more and more the norm, which is great. Yeah. Have Has there been like a change in strategy for you guys to secure brand deals for creators? Or like, have you seen maybe an increase or decrease in partnerships for the rest of the year in regards to our current climate just because yeah. of the situation that we're in? Um, I think in general, COVID has had a huge impact on the creator space. But, you know, if anything, e-commerce brands are flourishing now that everybody's at home. In terms of diversity, though, I would say that there is way more of it in terms of like the creators that are being put on Mm -hmm. programs. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that we observed was, you know, there was definitely a drop in influencer market, just marketing spend as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and influencer marketing is obviously a part of a larger marketing budget for most brands. So there was, you know, a pause in spend when COVID happened. Then we saw a little bit of a resurgence in people, you know, starting to talk brands, starting to talk about additional programs and things coming back. And then, of course, with the Black Lives Matter movement, brands were forced, rightfully so, to put a pause in, in their spending again. You know, I think it's an extremely important moment in time for a whole bunch of different reasons, of course, uh, from basic human rights issues all the way to diversity in media and partnerships and influencer marketing. And the positive thing that we've noticed is that over the past couple of weeks, you know, whether it's as a result of all of the pressure from people or, you know, an awakening, it doesn't matter to me why it's happening. It's positive to see that it is happening. We're getting a lot more requests and we're having a lot more conversations with brands looking for people that are more diverse, uh, whether they're you know black or indigenous or people of color in some other way. We're, we're looking, brands are looking now to add some of that diversity that in a lot of instances were lacking in the past. So that's a really positive thing for me. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that I always share with the brands that we talk to, it's not just about things like engagement when you're building a program. Sometimes it's just as important, if not more important, to work with people where there is diversity, even if their engagement is slightly less than someone else who might be not a person of color who, you know, has a little bit of a better size audience or engagement. Um, That diversity matters because those consumers are out there. You know, everyone needs that voice and people need to be able to express that voice. And it's been really positive for us to see. We still have a long ways to go as, as a marketing or, you know, industry, but we're starting to see a little bit of that uh, reawakening happening. And, you know, I think when you see brands like uh, Netflix and the CMO move that they just made, uh, those are all really positive moments in history that, you know, we're hoping to continue. When you say it's important to maybe look at a creator's diversity, you know, maybe versus engagement. Would you consider that even for the following of the creator, you know, like maybe seeing like who follows them, whereas maybe they have, you know, a more widespread audience, whether it be, you know, demographic around the world or if it's just like culturally versus maybe another creator who has, you know, predominantly white audience and then maybe pitching them differently that way? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, diversity as a whole has a bunch of these different factors that play into it. You know, at the end of the day, what's important is recognizing that there are people out there that have diverse audiences that are diverse people who might have been overlooked in the past. You know, that that's that's one of those types of things that we we saw, you know, we were an agency. So we've pitched 
many different creators to many different brands. And, you know, in the past, you would have seen brands, you know, use the the excuse or the guise of brands love to sometimes hide behind the word urban as an example. Mm -hmm. This person is too urban or this program is too urban for me to work Mm -hmm. on. And what they really mean is it's not it's not white enough. enough. And, you know, the, the irony in it is that most of the culture that brands want to emulate and participate in are cultures of color. The most popular uh, music genre for the past five to 10 years has been hip hop. Many of the top fashion designers uh, that have impact culturally have been that. So I think that's the irony of it is that, you know, brands have been able to get away with using that word in the past to like not associate with certain creators. And I think our generation is one that is forcing brands to take a second look and we're holding brands accountable, not just for what they say, but their actions. I think we've all seen that as well. You know, many brands have made social media statements about what they're going to do or what they've done. And many of them have been called out to say like, okay, but are you actually doing this within your own own organization? And I think that's part of like the diversity conversation that we're seeing shift a little bit, you know, given our generation is a little bit less afraid to challenge the status quo. Have you seen the other side of the spectrum too? influencers and creators asking if campaigns are diverse and culturally diverse or? I think it's definitely something that like when I'm a brand is reaching out for a particular influencer, um, it's definitely part of the conversation now where, you know, influencers want to know who else is on the campaign. They want to understand the bigger picture and kind of understand where their place is in that bigger picture of the program. So it's definitely part of the initial conversation way more now than it was before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, the the reality is making sure that, you know, diversity continues to be at the forefront of planning and design and marketing and influencer campaigns is a proactive, conscious decision. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something that is just going to happen. Brands and agencies and creators have to ask for what they want. You know, as an agency, we're not seeing the right diversity on a program that we're working on. We'll push back on that brand because at the end of the day, again, it's, you know, it's one thing to post on social media how much we care about the movement and diversity. It's another thing to, you know, put, as they say, put your money where your mouth is. So, those things are really, really important. You know, at, at Counterculture, of course, you know, we, we've gone through the process. We've donated to several of the causes, but we wanted to do more. So one of the things that we actually put together was a list of, you know, I think it's up to 500 plus creators, designers, and resources to help shed a light on Black creatives who might not have had that before. And those are the types of activities that agencies and brands need to proactively take on to make sure that they are giving that chance and they are kind of standing behind their their product or their their word. Yeah. Well, something we wanted to ask you guys was obviously again everything's been brought to the forefront and a lot more brands and companies are saying that they're going to take action and move forward with this, but do you see on the agency side, do you see the agency industry truly shifting after this? Or do you think that a lot of brands are going to kind of like take it as like a let's hop on the bandwagon for right now and then maybe not really act on or follow through with yeah, what they should be doing? I think that's up to us. Yeah. You know, I, I think quite transparently, 
what you're saying is has happened time and time again across many different whether it was environmental movements or whether it was the me too movement or now what we're trying to fight for you know the equality of of black lives ultimately if brands are given the opportunity to slowly phase it out of their conversation and their marketing plans i can't say for sure that they will but i can just look historically at what's happened in the past and Sometimes those changes have been temporary. So I think it's up to the creators, the agencies, but more, most importantly, the consumers that take in that content to hold brands accountable. I, you know, I, I think that our generation does a really good job of that. So I think the brands that cater to younger, the younger generation will have to keep going when it comes to these types of things. I think there's certain brands that, you know, maybe feel like their audiences are a little bit older and they care less about these types of things. So they'll probably try to go back to the status quo more quickly than some of the younger brands. Any like tips or advice that you think need to be changed in order for the whole if an agency, agency landscape to shift? Yeah. Like say what you guys are doing, some things that maybe you guys are doing and that you're other like, agencies can also implement. I think it's again, it's, it's that forced diversity. When you set out on a mission of diversity, you have to force those things. You have to consciously go out and find creators that maybe you don't know that you don't have relationships with. One, you know, one of the easiest things for agencies to do, given the agency model, is to find the same people and keep putting them on, the, on programs. Right? That's what we see that all the time, whether it's in Toronto or in New York or in L.A., you, know, you have the same 20 people in Toronto or 30 people in Toronto and maybe the same 100 people in New York and in LA and they work on every campaign. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because those agencies have already vetted those people. They know who they are. They know what their rates are. It's easy for them to work on. Agencies need to proactively go out and find creators who have diversity and give them the opportunity. It's not just about, you know, if someone knocks at their door, they're going to open it. It's about going out and knocking door to door and asking those questions and finding creatives that are willing to do that. And, you know, that list that we've created, it's open. It's available on our Instagram account. It's not like a confidential list we wanted to make. It's available for any agency or any brand to take advantage of. And if they want to work with those black creatives, they can either reach out to them directly or, you know, if we know them, we're happy to make those connections. But really, it's just about that proactive choice that agencies need to make. Mm -hmm. I think it also has to do with who is in the power of decision making as well. Like there definitely needs to be diversity, you know, at the top of the funnel, if you will, because if you're talking about diversity and equality mm -hmm. and, you know, different cultures, like those people making the decisions on how to spend the money also need to be aware or like non-white, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of companies now um, have like a diversity manager or cultural mm -hmm. manager to manage all of these things because it might be overlooked by like you just said a hierarchy that's primarily white so christine and i attended a conference i think it was earlier or last year dial. yeah move the dial and I th it was airbnb and they had implemented a culture it was what was her title it was the head of diversity and culture in airbnb and i think that's important too is implementing those type of roles in not only 
big brands, but in medium brands as well that have the budget to invest in these type of roles, because then they can really manage all of that so that it can start from the inside out. Mm. But here's here's one one thought for you. What would be even better than hiring a person of color or, you know, um, a person that is a minority in the capacity of a chief diversity officer is to hire that person in an actual executive capacity. Yes. When you look at many of these large companies, their top 20 executives are all white. Mm. And then the chief diversity officer is someone who is black or a person of minority. Right. And that is, it, it's a start, but it's a cop out. You know, mm. it's, it's like you're assigning someone who now has to fight that internal fight with 20 white executives about why they need diversity within the organization. Mm. So right. they're just That's taking that battle, you know, internally and, you know, it, it feels really great when they put it on paper. But if you look at most of today's companies, and I would say over the past month, we've seen a few companies step forward and say, no, it's not just about that role that needs to be a person of color. We're actually going to hire young, smart, bright people that are minorities and put them in those positions of authority so they can drive those businesses. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the, the few examples that we see where that's happened it's always been really successful for those brands. It's just about getting over the stigma of doing it because the status quo has been for the past hundred years, all the executives have been white. So it takes some time to break in. But you know, to me, I, I, I want to see more. It, it's really challenging when you look at a roster of board of directors and you know, five of them are white and then five of them are white males and then the chief diversity officer is, you know, a black female, as an example, because then it's like they've, they've, they're trying to solve two problems, the mm-hmm. lack of, you know, women in positions of power yeah. and the lack of people of color in positions mm-hmm. of power. And that's just that's that is very much an artificial, you know, superficial. You're right. Solution. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like, yeah. look at us. We're so diverse. We mm-hmm. have this woman of color. Yeah, that's true. It's a Band-Aid solution, yeah. honestly. It's just like it makes yeah. it yeah. look better, but it's not actually doing yeah. what it should be. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's more of the visual representation, let's say, not actually like, let's fix the problems and Mm -hmm. have these executives be people of color so that it actually matters and works Mm -hmm. and sticks. So, I mean, we've also seen now influencers starting to use their platforms for a greater purpose, you know, stepping back from maybe taking paid campaigns or just taking like creating content that isn't as meaningful. And I think this time with COVID and then the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that will continue on forward has just given people, I think, the thought, what content should I be creating? What value do I want to give other than just paying or promoting, you know, this product here, this product there? And how can I use my platform to really talk about what I believe in as a human, as a person, as opposed to just putting out this artificial content that you know, means nothing anymore. Yeah. So before we kind of get into the agency side, I just wanted to hear maybe from you, Tara, how you've kind of noticed the shift on your personal platform because you are also a creator. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting. I mean, for me, I don't think I've figured it out quite yet, but I am really mindful of who I'm associating with and just trying to use my platform to for change. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure yet, but, you know, highlighting things that are kind of in my lane. So, you know, beauty, fashion, and vintage, and kind of trying to find those companies that are run by Black, Indigenous people of color, and just highlighting that 
because, you know, a lot of the brands that I do use already are diverse brands. So, yeah, just kind of going with that. But I'm not really sure what this like new normal is yet. I mean, it's, it's not even about, you know, we always talk about are we like, do we go back to the normal? And you guys have probably mm-hmm. seen a lot of the, the memes and the posts out there, but normal wasn't working. Normal wasn't working, not just in terms of COVID and obviously the unpreparedness that our society had for something that is, imagine the impact that it's had globally, but more importantly, normal wasn't working for many people who were living lives that I don't think a lot of people, you hear about it and you see it in movies and sometimes you come across one-off cases or instances, but I think people that haven't experienced in in the past are starting to hopefully realize that the lives that some people live in North America and the rest of the world is very different from the lives that others live. And that is a fundamental thing that needs to change. So, you know, when we talk about the notion of normal, like normal wasn't working for Mm -hmm. many people. And that's what needs to change. So as creators, you know, we love to throw our influence around to sell hair extensions and eyelashes and, you know, sneakers. And yeah, that's great. But we also have a responsibility to our communities to show them that we stand behind mm-hmm. things that we're learning. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who... There's a lot of, you know, the notion of cancer culture, uh, cancel culture is very popular right now in terms of allowing people to learn and to grow. But I think as we grow and we, you know, as we do that and we read things and we educate ourselves, we have to use our platforms to share that same information. And if we can't do it personally, we have to be willing to partner with people and give up our platforms to those who are able to educate properly. At the end of the day, things won't change without it. If we don't acknowledge that something was seriously broken with the society that we lived in, when certain people don't feel safe walking down the street and the very people that were intended to protect them, they feel like could harm them more so, so much so that they, you know, avoid calling them in dangerous situations. Like that's not, that's a really sad thing and a sad realization. And I hope that people have come to that realization now and they understand it's not just a one-off isolated incident. It's mm-hmm. a systematic thing. We're guilty of it in Canada. We're guilty of it in the US. We're guilty of it globally, quite frankly. Um, and we, we need to step up and we need to change it. And creators have a lot of influence. That's the notion of what we do. So imagine if all the creators in the world got together and really pushed back and really used their platforms to educate people. We could get really deep in society in terms of the people that might not see some of that stuff and be able to you know, actually get the message out properly. There's a lot of talk of like you mentioned, cancel culture versus accountability. And I was also listening to a podcast and they were saying that it's important not to, and maybe you can speak on this, I want to hear your opinions, but it's important not to mistaken ignorance with bigotry. Because although ignorance is not okay or not you know accepted right now like there's a difference so that was interesting because we were Christine and I have been talking a lot about cancel culture and how it's important to be accountable and speak out and apologize and depending on the severity but we shouldn't necessarily be defined for one action but there's like people who are being you know called out now on maybe uh one thing or 
maybe two things, a series of things that they had done in the past and now being like totally, I guess, stripped of their influence or stripped of their. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So what's your viewpoint on, you know, accountability versus cancel culture? Well, I think it really depends, like in the instance of, let's say, someone being accused of something that they'd done years ago. I think what what matters to me is how that person responds to it. You know, if they acknowledge what they've done, if they apologize and, you know, move forward in a different way, I think, you know, that's valid. Like, this is what it's all about, right? Like, we can't just like cancel people. We have to give them the opportunity to understand what they've done wrong and move forward. So I think to me, it's like how that person responds really depends on how I feel about them after. Yeah, I think it's a combination of how they responded shortly after whatever mm-hmm. happened happened and when they were actually you know caught doing it because it's it's one thing if you realize you made a mistake and you go about trying to fix it it's another thing when someone digs up something that you said you know a year ago and all of a sudden because you're in the limelight because there's a spotlight shed on you you're trying to say and do all the right things mm-hmm. so for me that's an important part of it. Of course, depending on the severity of what that person is saying is one thing, things like the age that they were when they, you know, said those things as well. But it is what it is. Like at the end of the day, unfortunately, the the people that have have to experience these transgressions and these challenges don't get that opportunity. You know, the people that experience racism and experience discrimination and sometimes experience violence they don't get the opportunity for a second chance. Like, you know, they can't say, oh, it's okay. Let me move on from it. So this isn't to say that cancer culture is is right. To your point, you know, it really depends on what happened and the severity of it. But I really think that the how people react, like, you know, we've seen some interesting ones and you guys have probably observed, you know, there was a, a really prominent situation that happened a couple of weeks ago with a Canadian influencer and another really known Canadian celebrity. That to me, like that deserved full cancellation. Oh, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree way, with that. And, yes. you know, and, and the reason that it did wasn't even because what they said was racist per se, but it was the... You know, weaponization of their exactly. I mean, it was first, you know, planned intimidation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you see a lot as and you will continue to see as we move forward is, you know, the notion of white fragility. You know, and I you know, it, it's it's something that is like someone does something, they come out and they apologize for it. And then people press them a little bit harder and then they go on like a a diatribe that shows you very quickly that their apology wasn't sincere or that their, you know, what they're going to do in the future wasn't sincere. So every situation is different, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, it's not really, I'm a visible minority, Tara's a visible minority, but the experiences that we've had in Canada and the U.S. are not comparable to the experiences that Black Americans and Canadians have had. So I think, you know, people that ultimately should get to decide who gets canceled and who doesn't are the people who have experienced that injustice. So for me, generally, I try to look at black leaders that I respect and admire and follow and engage with to make those decisions, to to allow me 
access to their thoughts and what they think should happen rather than me trying to assume, was this offensive? Was this behavior as bad as I think it was? Because I'm in no place to do that. So, you know, I think that's a part of it as, a, as well as it's not about the thousands of comments that you see on social media. Social media is unfortunately probably one of the best and worst places for these types of things. But it, it's about going out and finding those people that are, you know, the leaders within the communities that we want to try and positively impact. And if they tell me that the actions and behaviors of an individual are inexcusable and irreversible, then I'm going to have to side with that decision because I'm not the one that's educated and informed on black rights, as an example. Yeah, really following their lead, I think, is something that, I mean, it's a stance I've been taking as well, especially when all this came out. And I know I'm not the only one, but feeling like I'm just so uneducated and and everything. And there's always more content and it's great. Now people are just sharing it constantly, um, more content to consume on this that can educate Mm -hmm. us. But it's it's not obviously never going to be enough and it's never going to be the same as experiencing it firsthand or yeah. even secondhand. You know? I agree too. I feel, I, I also feel that everything I've learned is a lie basically. So previously, previously. yeah, previously. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. relearning. Yeah. So relearning all of these things. And just like you said, it, it's not my place to make that decision. So whatever they say, I'll have their back. And like, I, I'll support that a hundred percent because it's not my place. I can't, I don't have that experience, so I can't speak on it. I think that's really important to note. Yeah, and that's also our role as people as who white allies, yeah. yeah, to be allies to to our community because yeah. we are a community. You know, it's I don't know where this example came from that I, I heard or I read, but it's really about like if we're all like as a part of one community and only this white percentage or gets to vote on a decision that affects everyone, that's not fair. Then we're not we're not a part of the same community the same group so it's really again just being allies is I think the most important thing for people who don't fully understand to kind of take that position yeah Mm -hmm. and I think we also have an accountability to you know oftentimes we use our platforms to educate people but we won't confront our friends and family who might be doing and saying inappropriate things it's a much Mm -hmm. tougher conversation to have but you know I promise you that that conversation with family has just as much impact, if not more, than you know, blasting out to uh, twenty thousand people. Hey, check out this article. Um, you know, I, I, those are the real. If we are going to be true allies, we all know people in our lives who say ignorant things, who have ignorant thoughts. Sometimes it's because of their upbringing and it's a generational thing, but it doesn't make it okay. So we have to have those difficult conversations with our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, people from different countries who might not be as educated and informed about why it's a problem. Um, And I think that as allies to any marginalized community, that's an important part of that conversation. You know, I think in Canada, especially, we have such a lack of understanding of the lives and the treatment of Indigenous people and what they've experienced for hundreds of years. It's just not something that's talked about in school. It's not something that's taught. And yet you name a city or a street in Toronto and chances are that it comes from an Indigenous background. So, you know, we have all of these false idols of 
cities and streets, Mm -hmm. but we don't know who those people were. We don't know what they fought for. We don't know what happened to them. And if you look at even society today, you know, I'm very thankful to live in Canada, you know, compared to the U.S. for sure. We are ahead in a lot of ways when it comes to these types of things, but we are just as guilty in a lot of those ways. And, you know, we haven't done enough to, to protect those communities that ultimately gave up the land, not gave up, where, you know, the land was taken to, from them. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that we get to now live in and call home. So that is a significant change that needs to happen as well. You know, I saw the Ontario government just announced that they're adding coding and finance to, uh, you know, curriculums as, as early as grade one. Well, guess what else needs to be included as early as grade one is racial studies and really digging into, you know, I actually find that like we learn more in Canada growing up. I went to school here. I had history classes here. We put more emphasis on international hate crimes and international injustices than we do on the ones that happen within our own country. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I've learned so much about so many different world, not just the world wars, but, you know, the Vietnam War and, you know, some of the things that have happened in Africa and the Middle East and in South America and in other places. And yet we don't educate our kids and our people on what we're doing to indigenous people every single day. You know, homelessness is at one of the highest rates within that community. Suicide is one of the highest rates within that community. Access to basic drinking water in many of those communities is still lacking today in 2020. You know, we're able to send people to the International Space Station and we're getting ready to allow people to buy access to private jets to get to space and yet we can't fix basic access to water in, in, in Canadian communities. So, you know, I, I think obviously the intent of, you know, your podcast is to really focus on, you know, uh, influencer marketing and social media, potentially from our opinion. But I think those are things that we as creators and as agencies and brands, we need to start doing more of. And if the government's not going to do it, we need to build programs and marketing campaigns and influencer campaigns that do a better job of educating people as well. So, you know, I, I think that that's an important part of it is using our platform to to bring shed light to some of those things that others might not be aware of. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. That's And that's also why we wanted to, you know, really have that included as a big part of this conversation. So it's us talking about this, you know, hopefully some listeners will who are in the creative space will, you know, be like, okay, it really is up to us and it'll kind of give them that maybe that confidence to start working alongside with their other creators and trying to create this greater change and this greater movement. Yeah, I think it's a really important conversation to have. And what how I view it is what we did as Canadian, like residential schools were around in the 70s. Like that is not very long ago. And I think we were trying to mask our involvement and project all of these other hate crimes and all these other things as like the problem and dismiss all of the problems that we have here in our home as Canadians. So I think it's a really important conversation to have and reflect on your your role and how you can help if it's just talking to your parents and family. If it is, you have a platform and you can speak out on a larger scale. I think it's important that everyone just bands together and continues to push these voices and push the movement forward. So thank you so much for being here today via Zoom and having this you know, discussion with us. I think it's definitely something that will give our audience value and a conversation that we really wanted to have and amplify on our platform. One thing that we like to ask at the end of all of our episodes are some assumptions that you had about kind of getting into what it is you're doing. So what are some assumptions you had about starting an agency and 
than running it? I think I was naively optimist and didn't really understand that I'd be the CEO, but I'm also the intern, you know? So <laughs> I think I didn't fully understand what, how much work it would take, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because when we have an idea or if one of our influencers has an idea, you know, we don't have to go ask our boss to get the go ahead. We kind of can just action things and really experiment that way. So yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but definitely underestimated the amount of work it takes to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there is, you know, one of the things that you said very early on was like, as long as you can draw that balance of when you're working, you're working and when you're not, you're not, especially as a couple, but like, there is no balance. Yeah. Like we, there is no, we, you know, we don't stop talking about work at 5 PM because, you know, at 5 PM is when we don't have emails coming in and client calls and meetings. So we can actually start talking about what we want to do and ideas and things like that. So really it's about finding the thing that, you know, it sounds so cliche, but it's finding the thing that you can think about all the time and it doesn't really feel like work, you know, like it, it's about those ideas. I honestly, like sometimes at 10 PM, I, all of a sudden I remember something and we're having the most granular conversation about the business, but that's just, a, you know, a, a matter of a, a matter of the way that an entrepreneur's mind works. You can't turn it off. And if you do, then you're not a real entrepreneur. And, you know, the, the last thing I want to say, because we've had so many specific and very serious conversations today, you know, I'm someone who really encourages, you know, if anyone hears anything that we've said today or we've discussed and they have a different point of view, or if we misspoke on something, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in indigenous studies or the impact that racism has had on black and minority lives. Uh, I can only speak about my personal experiences as someone of color growing up in Canada who experienced racism all throughout middle school, all throughout high school. And what I will say is, you know, the slight silver lining for me is that many of those people have now, as they grew older, they reached out to me to say, I'm so sorry for the things I said and the way I treated you. I didn't know any better, which tells me that it was a parental issue. So really, I just want to end the call, you know, from my end to say, if there is someone out there who is more educated and informed about any of the topics that we talked about, like you guys, I'm sure are going to link our social media accounts. I would love for them to reach out and and help educate me further and help educate all of us further, because there are going to be people that that have experienced more and know more as well. So, you know, I think that's an important part of it as well as we all have to be willing to learn all the time and acknowledge if we are wrong about something or if we did misspeak about something. Yeah. And do you guys want to just plug yourselves in here? We will link in the show notes, but just over voice. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my Instagram is just ash.toronto. Um, pretty easy to remember. And Tara? Yeah. Mine is Tara Lee Rose. There you go. Cool. And we and are counterculture. Yeah. Counterculture, counterculture agency. Dot agency. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and um, yeah, really had a great conversation. Thank you guys. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.